Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The World Cricket Show is proudly supported by Newbury Cricket. Quality bat makers since 1919. That's the one. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm not going anywhere. I fully intend to see this thing through to its bitter conclusion. And the man trying desperately to muster up the 48 letters he needs to trigger a vote of no confidence in my leadership is Tony Kerr. Yeah, unfortunately we've only got 46 listeners. So, uh, And how yeah. many of those wrote votes of no confidence Well, they're all in. Yeah, confidence the, the, letters. the letters have been smashing onto my uh, doormat. Uh, but we just need a couple more listeners. Maybe this is the episode that will uh, take us over the line. So really, like you want to, you want this to go well. You want it to be a good episode, but not so well that the listeners don't want to get rid of me. True. Well, I've already lined up a replacement. More on that in a moment. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought yeah, I've come fully dressed in my Victorian politician's uniform, <laughs> top and tails. Yeah. So it's uh, so it's all good. Ready to go. Ready to rock and roll. When you say you've lined up a replacement. He's not in the flat at the moment, is he? He's not waiting in the living room. He's just in the cafe uh, down the road, nursing a coffee. Yeah, he's quite a big name, actually. Mm. Well, that sounds <laughs> ominous, ominous for, you. for me. Yeah. All I can think this week, Tone, when, uh, you know, with all the chat flying around about votes of no confidence in Theresa May, is uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, when Queen Amidala in the Galactic Senate says... I move for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum's leadership. Like that—that that is in it's my quite head. impression. That's in my head <laughs> all the time. Anyway, I don't know why that particular line from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace lodged itself in my twelve-year-old's <laughs> brain, and I think about it all the time. And now this week, it's just you know, like when you get a song stuck in your head, like yeah. that's just in my head. Like when I'm in the shower, <laughs> it's just going round and round. So I haven't seen—I haven't seen every episode of Newsnight the last couple of weeks. That's a sort of British kind of news review program that, that kind of goes out at 10 o'clock every day. Yeah, more of a sort of reflective chance for some creative treatments on on uh, stories. But I've not seen them uh, yeah, with that particular take. Maybe that's an idea for next week, if the, <laughs> if the, the vote in the conference does does come up. It's definitely like a YouTube channel, or like a, a, a meme, a you, you know, we could put together a vine or something, yeah. saying, am, am, I, am I across the lingo here? But yeah, with the... Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg's head on Queen Amidala's body and uh, Theresa May as Chancellor Valorum. Oh, there you go. Well, you've given it away now. Someone else is going to do it before you. you you've, you've squandered valuable likes for the World Creek Show Twitter account. And it really seemed as though I knew what I was doing, didn't it? <laughs> when I described how we do it through a vine. Uh, well, shall we move on to the cricket? We have got a lot of cricket to get into tonight. England have won a test series in Sri Lanka tone so there's uh, plenty to get our teeth into there you'd suspect we've also seen an astonishing test match in the uae this week 
between Pakistan and New Zealand. Got to talk about that. Maybe might be one or two other things to chat about as well. Have you watched those YouTube highlights? I sent you a link to the highlights on YouTube of uh, of the final day of Pakistan v New Zealand. I have, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. You know, obviously, we'll talk about the game later on. But we we discussed this when we because when we talked about the series in the UAE between Pakistan and Australia, we kind of kept up with that through the highlights on the Pakistan Cricket Board's YouTube channel. If anything, Tone, there are more adverts now in, yeah. in the YouTube package. I think I counted 16 advert breaks in 20-minute highlights. It's impressive. I mean, what is particularly annoying is, and he, you know, we're getting, we're gorging ourselves on free content, uh, which you can't complain about, but we will complain about it. And uh, particularly in cricket terms, yeah, the adverts still tend to pop up just as the bowler's releasing the ball. Uh, but there we go. If I see one more advert for Grammarly, <laughs> I'm going to throw my laptop across oh, the Boy, room. do you need it as well. <laughs> I've seen those World Cricket Show posts that you put up. All right, well, let's kick things off in Sri Lanka, where the home side took on England in the second test of their series in Palakali this week. So Joe Root won the toss again. England batted first. And yet again, uh, they got off to a bit of a rocky start. They were 94 for four at one point. Um, they were then 176 for seven and then 230 for nine. Uh, but an astonishing last wicket partnership of 60 between Jimmy Anderson and Sam Curran uh, with a pretty breathtaking 64, six sixes in that. Uh, dragged them up to 290 and that seemed like quite a competitive total on that surface. Even more so when Sri Lanka were 211 for seven. Uh, but they kicked back a bit in the tail as well and ended up going past England and passed England by a reasonable amount. They took a lead of 46 into the second innings, finishing on 336 all out. Roshan Silva into the side with 85. England then uh, built a lead. They had another slightly dodgy start. They were 109 for four, but an astonishing 100 from the captain, Joe Root. He made 124 from only 146 balls. That meant they were all out for 346 to set Sri Lanka 301. Uh, and although at, at a few stages it seemed like it was getting interesting, England needed to take three wickets on the final day and they did it pretty quickly. Jack Leach with five wickets, Moen Ali with four, a Sri Lanka bowled out for 243. And as I say, although it was uh, a pretty interesting fourth innings, in the end, England did win the game by 57 runs. A couple of interesting stats here, Tone. 38 wickets fell to spin out of the 40 in the match. That's the most in test history uh, and no England seamer took a wicket of the two other wickets of all one was by Saranga Lakmal the Sri Lankan seamer and the other was a run out so no England seamer took a wicket that's the first time that's happened in a test match since 1956 so yeah what about this game then saying Christmas came early for me because this was an excellent test match I wrote to Santa last week and I said dear Santa please can I have some good test cricket for Christmas this year uh, and I Got a good game here. I'd, you know, it was kind of, I would say it's like perfect size of totals, like 290 all out on this kind of surface. Just really set the game up well. But yeah, we saw some swings in momentum throughout the game. It was, just, it was a really good game, wasn't it? It was. Uh, yeah, so much to unpack from it. You know, from an England perspective, you know, they were under pressure sort of two or three, maybe four times during the test uh, and on the back foot. So did incredibly well to kind of wrestle it back each time. And, and credit to Sri Lanka as well. I mean, I think they'll feel disappointed not to, well, have at least got closer in the end to uh, to winning the test. Uh, yeah, no, cracking stuff. 
I mean, I, reading, I read uh, Ed Hawkins' uh, blog uh, this week. He's at Cricket Betting, you know, writes about sort of cricket betting and other things. <laughs> All right, yeah. There you go. Uh, but he was saying, you know, and this is maybe something to come on to in a moment, but sort of, you know, don't believe the hype about England. You know, the the fact that England won the toss twice in, in this series has been you know, absolutely crucial according to him, which is interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but that's certainly... There's an element, there's a role in there for sure, but yeah, no, it was a it was a, a cracking, a cracking uh, game all in all. Well, we can get into it now. I mean, uh, you know, there has been a lot of plaudits going England's way because it, 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 at least on the face of it, is quite a remarkable achievement. It's it's England's first series victory anywhere away from home for three years. It's their first series victory in Asia for six years, and it's their first in Sri Lanka for eighteen years. But yeah, I mean, what what do you think then? How how big a deal is it? How impressed have you been with the way they've played? You mentioned there's maybe one uh, caveat there with the tosses. I mean, what do you, how do you assess this England performance? Is it is it as good as a result as it seems? I think it's a very very good result. Yeah, and, and definitely cause for optimism, cause for a little bit of excitement. Uh, you know, in some quarters. And, you know, huge credit to England as well, because, uh, you know, obviously they have been on a, a pretty wretched trot away from home. So to win these two tests the way they have, uh, the first one was a bit more convincing, but, you know, certainly to get over the line uh, and land that series win here, I think, yeah, I think Root and and the team deserve, uh, you know, an awful lot of credit. You know, I don't think, I don't think there are too many people getting too carried away. And there's a lot of people who've been chatting about the way England have played in this series uh, as being a sort of, the kind of hallmarks of potentially a new era and a new period of success. I, I think there's probably reason to be a little bit more cautious along those lines because, well, for one, and, you know, we, we'll talk about some of the, the cracking fielding now. <laughs> yeah, you keep talking about things <laughs> we're going to talk about. Uh, you know, there, there was probably four, well, at least four pieces of fielding from from England, which whilst not individually, maybe not, you know, not not the sort of the best catches you'll ever see, but certainly you know at nine and a half out of tens, and and the the run out as well from Stokes to get rid of Karen uh, Aratna in well, the first Je- innings. Jennings's catch at short leg, yeah, it was at least one slip catch from Stokes. Stokes was one uh, blinder he took, and then the one that was parried. Yeah, so for anyone who hasn't seen this, I'm assuming most people have seen this, and if if you haven't, I would definitely suggest uh, going onto a Vine or something and uh, checking it out. <laughs> But yeah, pretty amazing moment in the second innings where Karina Ratner got down to sweep. Jennings anticipated, realised that he was sweeping, moved quite a long way to his left at short leg and the ball was just hit flush off the middle of the bat straight at Jennings and obviously he had no time to react to actually take the catch but he parried it almost like a goalkeeper at Ben Folkes, the wicketkeeper, who then completed the catch. I really don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I obviously, like... It's not going to go down as the greatest catch or the greatest moment of fielding ever, but it must be one of the most unique. It was, it was, yeah, it was. Oh, I don't know, mind the presence of mind, word, but to yeah, do exactly. That. It was, uh, it was seriously impressive stuff. Yeah, and you, and you add that into the, yeah, the, as you say, the two other catches taken. The Stokes ran out in the first innings, and uh, you know, the, well, particularly the two times uh, the run out for Karen Ratner in the first innings, which was Stokes, as I said, and then. Yeah, and then it was Curran Aratna who was who was who was out to that piece of brilliance from Jennings and folks again in both innings was looking really good as well and playing really well. So you know you could almost say that the Test match boiled down to those two instances because 
Sri Lanka did take a first innings lead, but how many more would they have got if Karen Aratna had stayed uh, stayed at the crease in the first innings? And likewise, second innings, how much closer would they have got if he hadn't got out to that piece of brilliance? So, yeah, all, all matches boil down to small moments, don't they? But I think collectively, those instances of England kind of fielding brilliance have played a big role. And obviously earlier in the year, you know, we've been talking about England's fielding being a bit slack and maybe that costing them. So so that's a factor as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's those little marginal gains that you can make through fielding. And as you say, you know, in the Ashes and, and other series recently, England's fielding has, has let them down a bit. And potentially the addition of Folks does make a big difference there because, I mean, he's so impressive behind the stump, so competent and actually, you know, pulling off moments of brilliance. That in itself adds a certain percentage, but also maybe lifting the players around him and yeah, like the ultimate margin of victory may have been 57 runs, but it was quite a close game. It's probably a closer game than that suggests because certainly, at, you know, sort of halfway through Sri Lanka's innings, the fourth innings, it was anybody's game. And, and, and these little moments that England won or little moments of brilliance that they pulled off made a big difference to the, the final outcome. I mean, in terms of like how impressive this England performance has been, I think there have been a lot of things about it that have been extremely impressive. We'll talk about this a bit more, but at a later date. But um, the sort of positive approach, the positive bat- the positive batting. There's been a lot of chat about that. Joe Root's given a lot of chat about that. But that has been really striking, hasn't it? The the sweep and the reverse sweep in particular. Actually, <laughs> seemed like pretty much every England batsman got out to a sweep in the end. But they also put together a huge amount of runs through it. Actually, like every batsman in the team even Jimmy Anderson reverse swept first ball for four um and that's you know that's such a huge change that we've seen in our lifetime if you remember when England last won in Sri Lanka in in 2001 Marcus Triscothic played a few sweeps and it was like a you know jaw-dropping moment seeing England batsmen sweeping we've come a long way from there individually there there were some magnificent performances certainly Joe Root I mean quite a remarkable it's the kind of innings we know he can play and in a sense the kind of innings he should play because he's good enough to play that kind of innings it's the kind of innings you might expect to see from a Coley or a Williamson or a Smith and you know Root is definitely good enough to be in that company but maybe over the last couple of years hasn't quite been meeting those standards but this was absolutely tremendous just you know rattling along at almost a runner ball taking the attack to Sri Lanka sweeping as I say cutting dancing down the pitch to clip it over mid-wicket I mean he was making it look easy it must be one of his best hundreds. Sam Curran, you know, another swashbuckling knock at number eight. Feels like a long time ago that in the final analysis, partly because he then, you know, in the process, injured his side, didn't take any further part in the game. But actually that, when you know, when we say it did in the, it, in the end, it was a fairly close margin. That last wicket partnership with Jimmy Anderson in the first innings of 60, that's more than the winning margin for England. So it, that, that was such a crucial moment in the game. And, you know, he's he just does it time and time again. I mean, you know, he only came into the side in May. He already feels like a, a key figure. Just He's making these vital contributions at number eight. England have won every test that he's played. Oh, yeah, and he's quickly becoming the best thing about it. <laughs> England, isn't he? You know, when Curran's at the crease, you've got to watch it. And what was it, five sixes in this? Inning? Six, I think. Six sixes. He clears yeah, the six bars. Sixes. Uh, I mean, there were obviously lots of things, lots of individual performances go into making a test victory uh but that was as crucial as any of the others certainly yeah i think yeah. what what's he got uh 
Yeah, he's got six scores of more than forty out of twelve innings in in Test cricket, and you know most of them have have been pretty integral. So yeah, some some fantastic individual performances. Jack Leach, another one, you know, a, a second Test in a row where he's been excellent, keeping things tight, but with a, another couple of magic deliveries as well. And he got a maiden five for. So yeah, brilliant performances all round. It was a really uh, excellent effort from England as a you know both individually and as a collective. But I think you're right. Like there are some quite important caveats that have to be acknowledged in in the analysis of this series win. As you say, they did win both tosses. And actually, Joe Root's won. Is it seven tosses in a row? He's won. He won all of them through the India series as well. And that's not to be underestimated. I don't think. And particularly, you know, these were good tosses to win. And then, like, talking about the, the brilliance of Curran, but, it, you know, it, it is also worth noting that both of England's batting efforts were rescued a little bit by two extraordinary last-wicket partnerships, which you can't count on every time. You know, on another occasion, if Jimmy Anderson gets a king pair, which is possible from your number 11, England would have been bowled out for 230 and 305. I mean, that's 101 runs were added with Jimmy Anderson at the crease. <laughs> You know, I mean, that is like, obviously it's part of the game. As you say, like all individual performances count. Sri Lanka scored some runs with th- through the tail as well. But it's just, it's literally notable. It's worth noting. And I suppose the other caveat is that Sri Lanka aren't a particularly great side at the moment. You know, this is England's first win in Sri Lanka for 18 years. But it's also comfortably the least good Sri Lanka side to have hosted England in that time which isn't a criticism of England, but it, it's just another thing that you have to sort of take into account when you're sort of weighing this England victory because it's not the Sri Lanka team from six years ago, 10 years ago with Sankakara, Jai Warner, et cetera, et cetera. But as I said last time after the win in Gaul, as England fans, we really do need to just make the most of this, you know, yeah, breathe quite. it in. I think you've got to enjoy it. And, that, you know, quite rightly, there is, there's a bit of optimism, a bit of positivity now around England test cricket. And yeah, and, and rightly so, because as we've just gone through, you know, the fact that Roots just scored, you know, a top notch century, that's really encouraging. His the noises around his captaincy and the way he's approaching it kind of on on and off the field are, are really good, which is you know, obviously desperately what England need. Some holes are starting to look like they might be filled. You know, the other question marks have emerged, but they're sort of good, as we said last week or last time, they're good question marks. But overall, yeah, I think it's a it's a really nice little start, isn't it? England have got themselves in in Test cricket. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's maybe maybe some of the question marks are around the fact that it's you know you've got to think it's very unlikely that this particular team, these eleven players, are going to take to the field together, maybe ever again. I mean, there's already been announced there's going to be two changes for the third Test in Colombo with uh, Jimmy Anderson rested and obviously Curran's injured, so Best and Broader coming in. In the West Indies, you know, maybe they'll play three spinners, but I think probably more likely two spinners. Whether that's Leach or Rashid, who's the second spinner, remains to be seen. But you know what I mean? Like as good a performance as this has been, it's not a sort of uh, not a template that England can apply for any of their series in the near future, at least. You know, next time they go to India in a couple of years, perhaps. But things will have changed by then for lots of different reasons. So for that reason as well, as maybe as you say, some some question marks. But yeah, I do just think we've got to enjoy it. Like we said a few weeks ago, let's stop thinking about test cricket in terms of like, what have we learned? You know, what can we take from this to go forward and just enjoy them in their own context and celebrate the victories in their own context on their own terms. 
and yeah, I mean, away victories have become so rare for England. As I say, this is their first win away from home anywhere for three years. Had a desperate couple of winters before this one. I mean, even even winning individual test matches has become very difficult for England away from home. Uh, it's the first time they've won two games in a row away from home uh, since Mumbai and Kolkata six years ago. So yeah, I think in that context, it would probably be churlish to focus too much on the caveats and yeah just sort of enjoy an England win and a, and, a, and a good performance to come back to something that we've we've touched on a little bit as I said this was a really excellent really enjoyable test match was for you one of the reasons for that the positive approach that England took in their batting and actually Sri Lanka took in their batting to some extent as well you know was the comparatively high run rates that we saw in this game and the sort of attacking batting did, did that factor into your enjoyment of this game uh yeah somewhat i mean it, the, it's the whole thing isn't it it's the it's the closest of the uh you know how closely matched the teams were as the game went on the to and fro the brilliant fielding uh, and and you know the great innings like well certainly one particularly great innings and, and a few other really impressive cameos dotted about that you know it was it was enjoyable and as enjoyable a test match as there's been for a while cricketing umami isn't it it's like just it's satisfying mm. savory yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> fills you up yeah i'd agree with that i mean it's a bit a bit of a weird analogy but i would agree with that i mean I, i'm talking about the positive batting just because yeah. as you say there's been a lot of talk about it in the aftermath roots said that he wants this to be the way that england play that they they um spoke about it they decided before the series that they wanted to take a kind of uh positive mindset out onto the out into the middle it's like it's almost you know the root doctrine as, it, as you talked about last time Bayliss has said in it and there seems to be some truth in it that this is sort of the start of Joe Root's team and Joe Root wants his team to play in this manner but yeah I, d- I don't know what you think I mean I'm to some I'm a little bit perplexed by some of the reaction to it well some of Root's comments firstly yeah, but oh, also I don't, come on. To, I, so for me, yes, I, I, you know, I, you want to see players where they can being positive and proactive, and certainly the, the you know this England team as an eleven that have just played that test, you know, have so much ability to do that, and it it came off in this test match. I mean, yeah, I, I think I've of a, a similar mind to you. I don't think. I don't see really with Test cricket why you would play. Why would you go in with this kind of one gear mindset? Because you know, obviously, the England short form teams of the past just got so bogged down. But actually, you know, in T Twenty cricket and to a certain extent in ODI now, unless you go pedal to the metal from ball one, you're going to get left behind. Whereas really in Test cricket, I, I, you know, England could play this uh, you know full throttle cricket as much as they want, but they'll still that there will be. But there'll be a lot of occasions if they continue like that where there'll be as much frustration as there is kind of joy when they get it right. And then teams will beat them by doing the opposite. And I think that's why for me, I've been a little bit just just slightly kind of puzzled by all the talk because not that I think there's anything wrong with playing this in this way at all. It's fantastic. It makes a very exciting cricket. But I've just been slightly perplexed by, you know, some of what Root has had to say and some of what pundits and and you know and people in the media have had to say about it just because like so there was an article on bbc sport uh of root saying he he wants his england team to be trendsetters 
I don't know, it just it just strikes me as a little bit premature because, he's, as you say, almost certainly they will get beaten at some point by trying to play in this way against a team playing in a different way because test cricket, you can't play test cricket one-dimensionally or in one mode. Perhaps they will switch gear if they have to, but, you know, it sounds like that's not what they want to do. And actually, I just feel like it's too early to make this statement because, yeah, this has been a fantastic series win, but as we say, they won both tosses. Sri Lanka aren't a great side at the moment and, and they still needed the last wicket pair to, to bail them out twice in Palakeli. And actually, the winning goal was founded on some very steady, very patient batting from Keaton Jennings and Ben Folkes. And that positive approach that they wanted to take saw them, you know, five down before lunch on, on the first day. So, yeah, I'm I'm all for the approach, but let's just kind of cool our jets a little bit, both Joe Root and English <laughs> <it's their> media. <laughs> because, I'm sure we'll be listening as well. <laughs> you know, let's maybe gather a little bit more evidence before we start talking about how Joe Root's team are going to redefine test cricket, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, there is the fact that England have got that in their locker now, you know, is undoubtedly a fantastic asset to have, isn't it? Well, there are going to be occasions where you just can't play like that in a test match. Uh, yeah, where you have to sort of pull the shutters down and get, you know, yeah. call up Brigadier Block. But I mean, and that in it, that can also be exciting. It's well, another yeah. thing that you know people are saying, oh, this is so great for test cricket, which broadly speaking it is. But as though test cricket used to be really boring and now... Yeah, because they're trying to score at four and a half runs and over, that makes it interesting, there's exciting, a, and I, I just don't agree with that. I mean, you know, Paul Collingwood blocking it is is also exciting in a different way. Yeah, I mean, not if the pitch is dead and the six hundred runs on the board, but you know, if if you're under pressure on the final day to just be leaving the ball, trying to leave the ball alone outside of stump, and you know, that is exciting as well. That to and, me and is edging as exciting towards as, the total. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, undoubtedly. It's better. It's nice to see England batsmen, you know, going to the subcontinent. Yeah, you know, we mentioned the sweep and and not being fearful. It's, yeah, it's maybe the difference between being fearful and confident and playing a variety of shots, you know, in the conditions, rather than saying, well, you know, that confidence has to and that that freedom to play the shots you want to do has to manifest itself in like being gung ho, mm. which it, it shouldn't, should it? No. So yeah, it's a positive step, but yeah, I agree that there's no yeah, you, you, we don't need to be like, well, this is this is how we have to play every single test match no, exactly. or every single situation. No, yeah, that's exactly right. That's my feeling. I'm not I'm really not saying that I don't want England to play in this way. It's great. But let's just wait and see what happens and 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 the idea that you have to play this way for either for test cricket to be exciting or to win test cricket is just plainly wrong. A word on Sri Lanka. On the last show, we wondered if they might be at a bit of a, a crossroads. And yeah, we've said a couple of times that you know, perhaps not the best Sri Lanka side that England have ever played in Sri Lanka. Did you see anything in Palakeli to kind of to, to move the dial at all? I mean, this was a slightly better performance perhaps than it was in Gaul. It was certainly a closer game. Sorry, I'm getting a bit choked up over here. <laughs> thinking about Sri Lanka. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, as we've said kind of the last half an hour, you know, it was, it, it was pretty close, wasn't it? And I suppose from a Sri Lanka perspective, you would say, well, this isn't a classic England team. You know, they're, they're, they're still sort of trying to find a way, trying to find a formula that works. So, you know, even if Sri, if Sri Lanka had won, we'd probably be saying, well, it doesn't make, necessarily make them, it's not cause for to kind of rest on their laurels. But th there was some good stuff in there. And, you know, as I mentioned before, particularly Karen Aratna was really impressive and looked really good until he got out to 
to two bits of magic. So, you know, that, that's pretty hard on them. You, you know, you just feel they're, they're a bit short of the full picture. Short of a few names. Yeah. I mean, if they had won the toss, they might well have won the game. Or they'll be feeling that they have been a bit unlucky in this series to lose both tosses. They haven't quite had the rubber of the green sometimes or some some astonishing bits of England fielding, which, you know, you've got to give credit to England for. But could that Keaton Jennings, Ben Folk's catch ever happen again? You know, if you tried it another hundred times, would it happen? So they may just feel that it hasn't quite gone their way and therefore that some of the criticism they're getting or, you know, people on podcasts talking about them being... Uh, you know, the worst Sri Lanka side to play England ever, uh, that that might be a bit unfair. Um, but as you say, they're, they're perhaps lacking in a little bit of top, top quality, what you would call top, top quality tone. Like they've got a lot of good players. Corinna Rattlers look, look good. Kusar Mendes has had a very poor series, but is a very talented player. But they're maybe just short of some some actually world-class players, which, you know, Angelo Matthews would be Probably the only one is, would he be, I didn't do a composite 11 before the series, but you know, would he be the only one that would get into this England team sort of after the series? I don't, I don't know. Whatever this dispute is that the board is having with Angelo Matthews, they really need to resolve it because, I mean, he's in the test team, but he looks a bit unhappy with life and he's sort of posted out on the boundary. He's not very involved. And, you know, he obviously was the captain before this dispute and then Chandamal's injured and Sarangalakmal was made captain and he really didn't look like he wanted to do it. Um, so they, they, he has been sort of exiled a bit, Angelo Matthews, even though he is still in the test team. He's not in the limited overs team, which is going to be a problem with the World Cup coming up. But, you know, they really can't afford to lose Matthews because he is, as I say, perhaps the only world-class player they've got at the moment. So on to Colombo then for the, the final test. Obviously, it's a, a dead rubber now, but England do have an opportunity to pull off what would be an incredibly rare whitewash away from home. I didn't actually look this up. I, I don't know when the last time England whitewashed a team away from home. It's not the sort was. of thing you have cause to look up, is it often? <laughs> Has it ever happened? I mean, do you think they will, Tone? And well, you know, how big a deal would it be if they if they do do it? Uh, well, I, I think you know, the conversation would be pretty similar to what we just had in terms of <laughs> don't bother tuning in next time if England are one. No, but you know, all the same things will apply. I mean, I think they've got a good chance. You know, I I, uh, I edited my prediction last mm. week to uh, to 2-0. Did I? Yeah, no, I, think I predicted 2-0. No, you, I, I we predicted both predicted 1-0. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but I changed my prediction that England would, would, would win that last test, which they did. So thanks very much, uh, everyone. But, you know, as, as we said, you know, they didn't, they didn't do it by much. But, yeah, you'd have to say, and the, the changes they've made, you know, I don't know how Colombo is going to play compared to Palakella, but... You, you know, obviously Broad comes in, but as we said, the Seamers didn't play a particularly important role at all in this uh, match, apart from with the bat. And, you know, obviously Bairstow comes in as well. So you'd think that England are going to bat better in the final test. And with, with Moeen, Rashid and Leach, they've they've got a, as good a chance as any to win this one. I predicted one all as well, didn't I? And last time I called you weak for changing your prediction. And I quoted Churchill <laughs> to you in return. Well... It seems like maybe I need to eat some humble pie. Although, you know, yeah, you predicted 2-0. You're going to need some rain in Colombo for that to be the case, whether England win or Sri Lanka win. A draw does seem unlikely. Why is it, I mean, who knows? The pitch might be absolutely dead, but praying for rain tone. Yeah. For your sake. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? It'd be very interesting. Before, you, can cut, you can cut me saying that'd be interesting. I probably won't cut that. <laughs> it's not a very interesting thing to say. <laughs> it can't be interesting. Leave it in. Leave it all in. That's my philosophy. 
Before we move on, I just wanted to bring up the coverage of this series. I imagine listeners will know this, that England's tours away from home this winter and next winter in South Africa as well. The radio rights were won by TalkSport ahead of the BBC, so no Test Match special. The coverage is on TalkSport. That was quite controversial. Have you listened to much of the TalkSport coverage, Tone? I have not, but you've been raving about well, it. I keep sending you the link because you're like, yeah, the problem is I just don't know where to go to listen to it. So I've sent you the, I, I sent you the could, link to the player about six times. I'm sure I could probably, uh, you know, wrap my brain to, to work out a way of doing it. No, I just thought, yeah. I, have you sent me the link that many times? <laughs> I don't think you have. Quite a few times. <laughs> no, I mean, I've been loving it. I just think it's been brilliant. I think it's been superb coverage. You know, I drive a white van, <laughs> yeah. stop at Wix twice a day. <laughs> But apart from that, it's had no impact on you at all. I mean, in the in the ODI series at the beginning of the tour, it was a little bit tentative, maybe. I mean, I should preface all of this by saying I've only heard, you know, cumulatively two or three hours over the course of the tour. But I, I always, you know, I, I put it on as soon as I wake up and have it on while I'm, you know, making breakfast, getting my cereal ready and all of that. But yeah, in the ODI series, they, they were maybe a little bit tentative, like they were still sort of finding their feet and perhaps also, you know, very aware of who they were replacing or what they were replacing and the controversy around it, as I mentioned. And um, it was, you know, so, sort of like a, a stepdad coming in and, you know, saying, oh, yeah, we're going to have some fun here. You know, don't worry. You're, no, your dad's not gone anywhere. You know, you'll see him at the weekend. But I, I genuinely think it's been brilliant. Dare I say it, Tone, and I imagine I'll uh, cop some for this. I actually think it's been a bit better than TMS. You've raised your eyebrows. Eh? Your eyebrows shot up. Well, I mean, that's like saying like, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's strong. It's strong stuff. The air is filled with strong opinions in the uh, the World Great Show pod room. I mean, you, you like you you joke about the uh, that I keep going to Wix or whatever. I mean, that was one of the things that people were concerned about, and I was concerned about it as well. <laughs> well they all start going to Wix. <laughs> yeah, that um, that it would just be filled with ads because that is yeah. what people associate talks well with. But actually, there are only advert breaks during the session intervals. There's there's no ads during the ball by ball coverage it's all uninterrupted and they've just got like again i was i was a bit sort of uh trepidatious about it people were worried about who they might have on and the the tone that they'd strike but i mean essentially they're, they're just trying to be tms whether consciously or unconsciously they're doing it exactly the same way like down to the you know you'll hear a bit more from gareth batty and then it'll be mark nicholas you know that the changeovers are you know th- those changeovers are all done the same way it's basically the exact same style but just with really great people. And TMS does have really great people, but not uniformly, um, in my view. Whereas I think the, the the TalkSport roster is really great. They've got Mark Nicholas, who divides opinion, but I do like Atherton's on there, Bumble's on there. Gareth Batty, I think, has been really good. And Darren Goff as well maybe divides opinion and maybe I just haven't heard enough of him. But I, th- I actually think Goff is good value and he's, he's sort of in that Graham Swan, Phil Tufnell role but for me just is better and less annoying in that role so yeah I, I just think it's I think it's been really good I've been really pleasantly surprised by it and while there's still concerns around like accessibility and all of that you know the it's contributing to this thing that cricket's kind of disappearing into the margins of the British media landscape leaving that aside like the coverage itself I think there's absolutely no problems with it at all and as I say I, if anything I slightly prefer it yeah, I guess, you know, as you say, they're just trying to do TMS. So, I mean, really in terms of doing a ball-by-ball commentary of, of cricket, there is sort of only one way to do it, isn't that? And that's to describe the play ball-by-ball. 
yeah, they haven't kind of tried to reinvent the wheel too much. And yeah, I mean, it's just a different selection of of people. And if you think it works better, I think you know that's a valid opinion. Well, you, thanks. <laughs> well, you, you need to listen then, to it. Follow that link I've sent you. I will listen to it in the last test. I mean, yeah, dipping in and out of TMS. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, good for them. You know, I guess it'll be back on TMS, won't it? Uh, in the West Indies? No, no, it's no. not talks about in the West Indies, but it's you know, next summer, English summer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, give them a. I don't know. It's all good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna leave that in as well. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, so we've got a couple of other bits and bobs to discuss on the show today. Uh, let's let's head to the UAE, shall we, in our minds. Uh, we've had one of the most extraordinary climaxes to a test match that we've seen in recent years. Uh, Pakistan taking on New Zealand in Abu Dhabi. Uh, New Zealand batting first were bowled out for just 153, and it seemed like we could be in for, for quite a brief game. Pakistan, in response, were going along well at 174 for four, but then there was a collapse and they were all out for 227 with Trent Bolt, very impressively, for a seamer in the UAE, taking four for 54. Uh, New Zealand managed to get past Pakistan and post a score of some sort, post a total. They were all out for 249 with Hassan Ali taking five for 45 and Yasir Shah five for 110. That set Pakistan just 176 runs. But, you know, given the history of fourth innings run chases, that felt like we might have a game on. Uh, and it felt even more like there was a game on when Pakistan were 48 for three. But then a really great partnership between Azhar Ali and Asad Shafiq got Pakistan to 130 for three. So only 46 more needed for victory. But then there was quite an astonishing meltdown sparked by Ajaz Patel on debut, who took five wickets. And there was a run out in there as well. Uh, Azhar Ali eventually out LBW for 65. Pakistan collapsed to be 171 all out. So New Zealand won the game in the most extraordinary fashion by four runs. Uh, So that is the fifth closest test match ever, or the fifth closest margin of victory by runs in test history. How about this then, Tom? What a game. All my Christmases have come at once. It was a hell of a week, wasn't it, for Test Cricket? Uh, I mean, yeah, just extraordinary. To watch the team throw it away from there was was yeah, like the sort of performances we used to put in as kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty amazing stuff. 
Uh, and the fact that it is that, yeah, that was, batting collapse mentality, isn't it? When yeah. you know that the fourth wicket goes down and the number ten batsman is scrabbling around trying to find his thigh pad. Yeah, it's that but, kind of thing. Uh, that, and that's the beauty of uh, of cricket, isn't it? That you can't quite replicate the sort of the the slide of a, of a batting collapse, and particularly when to, to be so. I mean, they were they really had no right to not get to that total. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there was an element of sort of Pakistan, uh, a sort of classic Pakistan in there, wasn't there? It was a sort of slightly infuriating run out where both batsmen ended up at the same end. The batsmen were coming in and, and trying to hit sixes with their second ball and getting out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was that Bilal Asif. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then Yazir Shah the was, was, <laughs> was flailing as well and uh, dodged one where he hit the ground. And then got out, you know, a couple of balls later to to Wagner. And then Hassan Ali hold out on the boundary. Yeah, I mean, it was like they needed about fifteen at that point. Well, they needed twelve to win, and he tried to yeah. hit a six. I mean, he, he could have just nudged it along. Uh, yeah, it was amazing, and some of the just some of the reactions in the crowd at, at, at full time were pretty amazing. Where just just people literally shaking their heads in disbelief. Well, not just in the crowd as well. Mickey Arthur's face, Pakistan coach Mickey Arthur. Like, obviously on a podcast, I can't really replicate it for the <laughs> listeners, but just like open mouth. It was like someone had drawn, like you asked a child to draw a picture of an astonished man. Um, it was that face. Yeah, I mean, how you can lose from there. I, I was at a rugby match in the Channel Islands last season where a team were 19 points down, I think with like 78, 79 minutes on the clock and ended up losing. I think two tries were scored. I don't even know how this works in rugby, but two tries were scored after full time, uh, and the 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 sense in the the ground afterwards was, was I've never seen anything like it at a sports event. It was, I think I said at the time, it was like a bomb had gone off. Was it the it home like, team that had won? The home team had lost. Home team had lost. Yeah, right. sorry, I should be clear. Yeah, so it, you know, most obviously most of the people there rooting for the home team, and it was like a bomb had gone off. There was just people were literally dumbstruck yeah by it. but that was kind of similar to what the reaction looked like here just kind of yeah as you say open mouth kind of head shaking yeah it was it was at that level of like how the hell have you lost that from there well although again as we talked about you know in, in discussing uh that amazing game between pakistan and australia a month or so ago it is a bit of a shame that it's in the uae with this just completely empty stadium sort of gleaming <laughs> empty seats like it's a shame that these these test matches which are some of the best test matches we've seen in the last decade uh have been played out to almost nobody there were at least a few people in the ground in abu dhabi this time as well but it, it's, it's the sort of thing sort of 40 or 50 but it's yeah. the sort of thing they should actually interrupt view like you know bbc one should go when that sort of thing's happening should just go to the test match yeah. from the uae and be like we interrupt this broadcast to bring you you know <laughs> And then a little scene set and then just bring you the last, you know, three or four wickets. We interrupt Theresa May's Brexit speech <laughs> to bring you Pakistan throwing away a test match. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, that was a little bit of a shame that it, that it wasn't like a full house. But we, but you've got to say that the UA does seem to be producing great test matches at the moment or, or at least great finishes. And maybe the pitches in the UA are not as dead as they seem or as dead as they used to be. Certainly when Pakistan first started playing there, it was just completely lifeless those surfaces but now there's a little bit in it this is a low scoring game the ball turned quite a lot and it produced you know the conditions for this this extraordinary drama you mentioned you mentioned sorry you mentioned ajaz patel on debut taking five wickets i really enjoy his uh his profile on crick info 
his little summary career summary just simply reads one minute he was sitting down to eat dinner with nearly 30 of his closest family the next he was being told that he was on the test squad to play for new zealand meet ajaz patel a left-arm spinner who was like many before him a fast bowler growing up it's, it's not really like a it's more like the narrator at the start of a sort of comedy movie or something yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really sound like doesn't really sound like a, a sort of test, uh, yeah, a buy over test cricket. That's already the uh, the Rotten Tomato synopsis <laughs> yeah. written for his biopic, and he could have a biopic because you see, it's it's quite an extraordinary story. He he used to be a left arm seamer until a couple of years ago, and then he started bowling spin for fun. I mean, he's thirty years old, like, and he I only genuinely- started playing first class cricket a couple of years ago. I genuinely think. I've been threatening to turn to spin for years, <laughs> and I genuinely think that maybe I could follow in his footsteps. Yeah, you're a bit older than thirty, though, Tony, aren't you? Don't even touch. But I'm also, uh, yeah, I'm also categorically not a left arm seamer <laughs> or right arm seamer. Yeah, right arm occasional. Yeah, right arm erratic. That's it. Yeah, as you say, it was in many ways it was classic Pakistan. This wasn't it, uh, which you know we had thought that they might be that this team might be moving beyond that uh but yeah again we we saw that kind of brainless batting that you do traditionally associate with with pakistan as you say a run out hassan ali getting caught on the boundary and actually not great batting from azar ali who did you know obviously got 60 odd and, and got them almost to the line but when they were six down seven down eight down nine down he kept just taking singles putting his partner on strike sort of first or second ball of the over i just don't know what he was doing you don't want to overreact to one kind of meltdown, but Pakistan fans might be beginning to wonder whether Azhar Ali, and, and particularly Asad Shafiq, actually, are, are maybe not quite delivering for them in the way that they should. I mean, it's a little bit harsh because they were comfortably the two best batsmen in this innings, but Asad Shafiq particularly. Shafiq, to me, feels like a kind of heavyweight test match batsman, but if you look at his record, he averages less than 40. doesn't quite support that. And yeah, a, a little bit like Sri Lanka, they've been... A couple of you know there are a couple of big absences in that Pakistan team. When they came to England, it didn't look as though um, you know they were really feeling the absence of of Mizbar and, and Yunus Khan. But what you'd want is for for example Asad Shafiq to kind of step up and, and fill that gap. And this may be an example of where at, you know Mizbar and Yunus would have got them to that target. You'd think, but didn't quite happen. Unbelievable stuff from New Zealand. They really had no business winning that game, as you say, Edges Patel. Great story and, and looks like a find. Neil Wagner fired up. Really great sort of... Fit to burst, <laughs> Wagner at times. Great to watch. I mean, they are a really good team, New Zealand, aren't they? And, you know, they've had a very good few years, maybe tailed off a, a little bit since the retirement of Brendan McCullum, but, you know, they, it has been one of the stories of Test cricket over the last six, seven years, New Zealand kind of punching above their weight. But this must be one of their best, if not their best, win in that time. I mean, they don't win in Asia very often. They did win in the UAE four years ago, but that was a... Or they, well, they won a test in the UAE four years ago. But that was a a bit of a weird game because it, it was the week when, when Phil Hughes died. An unusual game, unusual sort of circumstances. But they've now got a very good chance to win a series in the UAE. Pakistan do not lose many series in the UAE. They've only actually lost one in the past, and that was to Sri Lanka. Never lost to a, a non-Asian side. But yeah, New Zealand have really got an opportunity here to pull off what would be a historic achievement. And I mean, I'm looking forward to it, so I'm looking forward to the second test. I'll be watching those highlights on YouTube, getting all my adverts for Grammarly. 
And Adam, of course, it's the uh, women's World T20 happening in the West Indies at the moment. Have you seen much of that? So we're down to the semi-final stage now. I have seen a bit of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Semi First semi-final is Windies against Australia and then England versus India uh, in the second semi. Yeah, I watched uh, England-West Indies the other night. Pretty gripping. It was a really uh, dramatic chase West, that West Indies eventually pulled off but uh yeah they were only chasing what 117 but it was it was it was pretty tense because it was close great polling again from Anya Shrubsole world cup hero of course three for ten she took for England but wasn't enough West Indies did get there I mean it's been interesting obviously there was so much was made about the women's world cup last year you know often with women's cricket there's as much discussion you know in the kind of mainstream media about what it means when something's happening at the moment rather than the actual cricket itself. But do you get senses been as much attention? Obviously, it's not the, the World Cup was in England, so for us in the UK, it was it was quite a big deal, or it became quite a big deal, certainly as England progressed through it. Uh, but is this getting as much attention, perhaps, as people sort of might have hoped going forward? Yeah, it's hard to say. I, mean, I thought you were going to say, is it getting as much attention as that World Cup, to which the answer is definitely not. But is it getting as much attention as they might have hoped? I mean, it was the it was the top story on the BBC Sport website a couple of times. Certainly, when in, I think both times when England were playing, although you know maybe that's not the uh, kind of uh, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the high watermark thing that it once was. In that, I think uh, Pep Guardiola's Desert Island <laughs> Discs was top yeah. story on BBC Sport not so long ago. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it was quite prominent on the Guardian website as well. Like, it, it's definitely getting coverage, and it's obviously getting a lot of coverage. On Sky Sports Cricket, it was on Sky Sports' main event as well. What that means, I don't know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I will be interested to see what the what the viewing figures are and the viewing figures around the world. Um, but it does, like, it undoubtedly feels like there's more of a buzz about women's events than there was even three, four, five years ago. Yeah. Like, just, that, that's just undeniably true, isn't it? And a big opportunity now for England. Well, and all the teams, I guess, to get to a final, but a uh, big opportunity, uh, uh, yeah, for England to sort of maintain that momentum from last year and, and, and yeah, cause a bit of a fuss by getting to the final. Mm. Yeah, I think if they do get to the final and if they win it, it might knock Pep Guardiola off the, uh, off the top spot again. All right, well, there's one final thing that I wanted to talk about now, Tone. Apropos of nothing in some ways, but I, I had a, a busy weekend following the test match, but also the football a big win for the England football team in the Nations League, beating Croatia, astonishing comeback to win 2-1 and, uh, and qualify for the Nations League semi-finals. And I just wanted to ask you really whether you think cricket needs a Nations League. Can you explain for listeners who maybe don't follow football what the Nations League is? Yeah, so historically, or certainly in recent history with football, you've had the World Cup every four years in you know, splitting the difference between that, the regional tournaments, so the yeah, the the, uh, the Euros for us in Europe, but then in between the sort of qualifiers for that, you know, oodles of meaningless friendlies, which had become a real sort of pain in the neck and were no one really cared about, you know, it annoyed the clubs and stuff. So yeah, the UEFA basically decided to uh, create a, me- a sort of meaningful system of friendlies or a, you know, meaningful format for friendlies by replacing those with this yeah new UEFA Nations League tournament which has four tiers and within each tier you have four groups some of them four teams low down but at the top end three teams in each group each team plays 
the other twice and then you get four teams then through to a finals weekend which England have got through to which is going to be will, will be pretty exciting and it's, they've come a long way obviously England doing well has really helped for us but certainly at the start when the Nations League was introduced or proposed people did mock it somewhat yeah. it just sounds it sounded a bit silly <clears throat> No one could understand it the format. It seems really either. complicated, yeah. It's a it, lot less complicated than it seems. It's, yeah. it's hard to describe, but I think you've done a good job of it. But yeah, like in the top tier of that three-team group, the winner goes into the semi-finals final. The team that finishes third gets relegated to the tier below and the team that finishes second just stays in the group for next time, for the next iteration of the tournament. But yeah, as you say, there was a lot of scepticism about this tournament, but suddenly maybe it is because... England are doing well and you know it's just we're seeing this through an English lens but it does seem to have been really successful and I just wondered whether you think is it something that could be kind of transposed to cricket could cricket have a version of the Nations League I think it's very interesting I mean what it does you know obviously it creates some meaning gives some meaning to the meanings friendlies and uh, you know I know obviously we've talked a lot about this <laughs> in the last 10 years in the context of context yeah uh but but I suppose what it seems to have done quite well is, you know, it's very concise and it'll be interesting to see what happens next time because obviously the, uh, for the first time you had the, the teams were kind of all, it all made sense. You know, the teams in the top league were and are the biggest and best teams, but, you know, the likes of Germany uh, have been relegated. So they'll, they'll now play one team who are at tier two and then a promoted team from tier three. So how that will quite play yeah. out in terms of whether the matches will be, how good they'll be whether it will be as good as this time remains to be seen. But yeah, I think in, in theory, I think there, there could be a potential application for cricket. Did you see recently the ICC have announced the kind of new organisation, well, so the new qualification pathway for the 50 over World Cup? There's the Cricket World Cup Super League, which is the 12 full members plus the Netherlands. You know, that's what we talked about before. That's just, you know, a league of ranking then there's the cricket world cup league two which is the associates currently ranked 14 to 20 in the world cricket league structure if this makes sense you following yeah i think so and then below that two concurrent challenge league cricket world cup challenge leagues which are the teams ranked 21 to 32 in the current structure in the current world so it sort of replaces world cricket league five four three and two into kind of three tiers. So in a way, they've kind of done that. You know, they're giving more games to the teams at the bottom. But but are you saying that, you know, maybe for even the sort of the top... I, I guess it's probably what they've done, actually. Well, no, it isn't. Kind of. It's not what they've done. Because what's so great about the Nations League... I mean, why I think it's an interesting... Why I think it's a really brilliant thing for me to have brought up <laughs> is because... Uh, no, I, I was just thinking about it because what's so impressive about what they've done with the Nations League is how instantly they've created this tournament that people care about. I mean, you could see, yes, England are doing well, so England fans like it when England do well, but the England players genuinely cared about it. They were genuinely celebrating the fact that they'd won that game against Croatia. The Croatian players seemed genuinely devastated. They were almost in tears. The fans have got really into it. And for me, it's because this format, this tournament, makes so much sense. It's such a good tournament. It's such a good premise for a tournament. Yes, it was hard. It was like hard to imagine it before it happened, but now you see it playing out. It's a really sensible structure, and having three teams works really well because the dynamics can change so quickly. Like for, 
when England were losing to Croatia, they were going to be relegated because they won. They got promoted. Like so, it all changed. It completely turned on its head in the space of five minutes when they scored those two goals. And so that may have been a you know a particularly good set of circumstances that won't always be replicated. But the three team thing works really well. I. Sorry, uh, you're so, going to yeah. interrupt well, me. No, I was going to say, yeah, so, so much sass. You were going to interrupt me. So just how would you, how would you envisage Adam Bayfield's Cricket World Nations League? Could you have two groups at each tier? So you'd have maybe a, a playoff then to win. So you could have like the top six teams would be in tier one or top six nations with three teams. Is this for one day cricket? Okay, what is so this for? I'll caveat this by saying I haven't thought this through. This is like Brexit all over again. <laughs> <laughs> I've not thought this through at all. And I think ultimately the answer is no, cricket can't have a Nations League, but there are maybe things that cricket can learn from the Nations League. The reason cricket can't have a Nations League is because there are just not nearly enough teams that play cricket to a good enough standard for this to work. As you say, even in football, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Hungary are in the same three-team league with Germany and Denmark is that as exciting as it has been in this first edition where it's been Germany Holland and France but in cricket it it just really doesn't work there's only 10 12 at a push 13 or 14 teams who could compete sort of equally with each other so it's very it'd be very hard to take that exact structure and replicate it in cricket and certainly in test cricket I don't think that's possible but one of the things I think they can learn is that this system of having groups like parallel groups in the same tier is really good like cricket seems obsessed certainly at the moment seems obsessed with everybody playing everybody that's what they want to do in the test championship that's what they want to do in this ODI super league or whatever you said it's called world cup super league and that's what they do in the world cup itself the world cup is one massive group stage where everyone plays everybody and that to me is just a lot less exciting a lot less dramatic than if you have smaller groups where you don't all play everybody, where you're competing to get through to the next stage. And it's there's a, a, a random element to it in terms of who you play. So I think you could have a, a, an ODI structure with, say, you know, if you took the, the top... I'm, I'm working it out for you now. <laughs> you do seem bit, you're beavering away your laptop <laughs> over there. But if you took, say, the top 16 teams in the world well, and had four groups of four... Just told you horses. ...that are <laughs> randomly, randomly allocated... And then they went through to, you know, the top team went through to semi-finals and a final. I mean, maybe you could do that in test cricket as well. I don't know. It would completely change. There would be all the same problems that we've talked about in terms of what do you do about the Ashes? It would mean that India don't play everybody, which is where everyone makes the money. This is why fundamentally it doesn't really work. But in a kind of vacuum where you can just create the, the best possible tournament, is that not a better idea than a test championship where everybody plays everybody over two or three years? Well, here you go, mate. I've just put the top, really proud of myself here, the top 24 teams in the world in ODI cricket into four tiers, two groups in each tier. So you could have the winners of the of tier one would, would play each other in the final. As you said, like the Nations League, the middle team, the second the team that finished second would stay there and then the relegation and promotion. But actually it maps out quite well. So you'd have at tier one, England, New Zealand and Pakistan in the first group, India, South Africa and Australia in the second. Obviously, they're all going to be good competitive matches. Then in the second tier, Bangladesh, West Indies and AIM. What's AIM? Afghanistan, do you mean? Uh, <laughs> AIM. <laughs> what is AIM? <laughs> what, what? I think you may have done this a bit too hastily. Hang on, hang on. Just bear with me. 
Oh, Zimbabwe. It's, Zimbabwe. It's, 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 yeah. So, and tier two, you'd have Bangladesh, West Indies, Zimbabwe, and then Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, and Ireland in the other group. And then you go down, obviously, into the more, you know, lower down the associate reaches, Scotland, Netherlands, Papua New Guinea, UAE, Nepal, Hong Kong, and then Canada, Oman, Singapore, Namibia, USA, Kenya. Obviously, the bot- you know, cricket is in a position where the teams at the bottom are... Well, I suppose, actually, when you look at it, the teams in the bottom of, in the Nations League can't really hold a candle to the teams at the top. In football. Of, in football. So it's not Absolutely, that dissimilar, yeah. but... Any one of Bangladesh, West Indies, and, and AIM, and Sri Lanka, <laughs> Afghanistan, and Ireland getting promoted to that top tier would be still be competitive. Likewise, the, so it could work, mate. It, gives, it gives them something to play for, doesn't it? And this is what's been re- another thing that's been really good in the Nations League is that you know Gibraltar won a match. You know Gibraltar aren't just going around getting two spanked two. Did they win in two a row. Yeah, um, they're not. And San Marino, you know these teams that traditionally have just been showing up to play countries that are vastly bigger and better resourced or whatever that they just can't possibly hope to compete with they're playing other teams on the same level and presumably improving and growing from there and it gives their fans something to get excited about and i do think there's something in it but as i say the problem in cricket is the financial uh what's the word i'm looking for when something's like overbalanced or like it's too the top heavy nature yeah of the, exactly yeah is the like the top heaviness you'll cut that one <laughs> yeah, yeah i'll cut all that <laughs> the top heaviness of the financial situation in cricket so whichever group india are in that's where almost all the money is uh, england and australia as well but it, you know it, in that second tier if you're talking about what do you say west indies sri lanka and aim or something bangladesh west indies and aim right and so, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, and Ireland. So there's not nearly as much money in that. Certainly, if you're talking about a potential test structure, that's just devastating financially to those countries. So the only way you could do it is if you radically change the way the ICC funding model works, and the ICC basically takes in all revenue from all matches around the world and then distributes it more or less equally. Uh, but that's never going to happen. Um, so as in some ways this is a completely pointless conversation but I do think it's it's potentially something that cricket can learn from if it's trying to set up an ODI structure a T20 structure we've talked this about this a lot but if what you want to do is create context in international cricket as I say what's been so remarkable about the Nations League is how quickly the, uh, the, the UEFA have created context for this competition um, and how much people care about it straight away because that's my concern about something like the Test Championship is I just don't know if people are going to care. One of the reasons for that, for me, is that sort of 19, 20 months into the tournament when Sri Lanka are playing AIM and uh, neither of them have anything to play for, are people going to be as invested in it as you'd want them to be? Of course, well, I mean, maybe it's a, you know, the the T10 league is going on at the moment. Maybe that could be the uh, Adam Bayfield's World Cricket Nations T10 league. Yeah, well, it could be a guinea pig. Maybe the new packer. (laughs) Yeah. Bayfield Cricket. <laughs> I think a T10 league would be your worst nightmare, though, wouldn't it? If you'd have your name <laughs> stamped onto that. If I die <laughs> and, and you walk in, laughing at you, Dan. you organise a T10 league in my memory. <laughs> the Adam Bayfield Memorial T10 league. <laughs> I'll be so pissed off. Be on the grave. Just getting kids into the Adam Bayfield Memorial T10 <laughs> Foundation, getting kids into T10. It's what he would have always wanted. 
Much like this year's John Lewis Christmas ad, this episode of the World Cricket Show has been another triumph of culture that's moved a nation to tears. But despite that, I'd very much like it to stop. It's that time again, Tone. John Lewis time. Forget England winning a series in Sri Lanka. This is what people tune into the World Cricket Show for. What have we made of this year's John Lewis ad? What do you reckon, Tone? The Elton John one. Yeah. Did you cry? I, can't, I didn't cry, no. I, funnily enough, I, and I'll segue this into a promo for our other podcast, the Little Film Podcast. We just reviewed Bohemian Rhapsody. Good, good work here, Tony. Uh, yeah, nice. Which well, well is available now to listen to. And actually, I quite like... I'm holding up cue cards for Tony. <laughs> yeah. we, we all vaguely enjoyed it. I, quite, I enjoyed it, certainly. And you'll find that out in more detail. Bohemian Rhapsody. But the, the point being, sort of one of the the criticisms of Bohemian Rhapsody was that it was a sort of whistle-stop Wikipedia entry in in pictures, and which is essentially what the John Lewis ad was, wasn't it? It was just like, Ed, what's his name? Elton John. Elton, I was going to say <laughs> Ed John. <laughs> uh, Elton John just through the eight. Anyway, I don't know why. I'm, it just, yeah, there we go. Yeah, although that that, that ad is like a minute long. Well, quite, yeah. Like it was like an abridged Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like... I actually think it's quite a nice idea this year. A lot of people are like, they but, don't even sell pianos. It's like, why are you getting angry about yeah. this? It's almost Christmas. <laughs> they don't sell rabbits either. Or no, what was it? <laughs> yeah, penguins. Yeah, they don't sell penguins either. Yeah. No, I think it's quite a nice idea, but it's just like, if you're crying at a John Lewis Christmas ad, you really need to have a long, hard talk with yourself. Well, anyway, we're going to be back soon to talk about more cricket and more Christmas adverts, no doubt. Although I think all the big ones are out now, aren't they? What are we doing for our um, World Cricket Show Christmas photo shoot this year? Has that come out? Oh, that's scary, isn't it? I remember us scrambling around to get the last one. <laughs> I certainly run out of ideas. I mean, they've, <laughs> they've all been so good in the past. <laughs> Maybe we just need, yeah, we'll just get a big name in to do it. Who's in the cafe, so? <laughs> Who is in the cafe? Uh, David Gower is in the cafe. No, he's not. But I did see on Instagram, you popped up on Instagram, yeah, you hanging I, out with I, Gower. I took over the World Cricket Show Instagram account for yeah. 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I went, yeah, met David Gower the other week, last week. It's good. I didn't get Nice guy. No, well, it was, it was all in aid of the 10th anniversary of the podcast. So I didn't, <laughs> I just didn't think you'd be interested, really. <laughs> like, yeah. you're not your thing, mm. cricket. Uh, we're in discussions to get him on the pod. In place of me. Well, I don't want to... Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but yeah. Let's not call it audition, but... I really regret handing over sole control of the podcast <laughs> to you all those years ago. Yeah. That was a really heavy night out that I regret. Of course, I retain all rights to the name. Yeah. And, yeah. Endorsements. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I don't know what we're going to do for our Christmas photo shoot this year. Possibly we're overestimating how much people care and, you know, maybe we just don't do one and nobody minds. That might be the answer. Well, much like John Lewis, we've sort of dug ourselves into a hole where we have to keep doing it now. Otherwise, people will cry if we don't say, yeah. Well, let's see if we can get Gower in. Maybe see if we can get Elton John in. He's, he seems up for it, so. David, Elton and us two. Just David and Elton. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas from the World Cricket Show. And it's just David Gower and Elton John. That'd be good. Uh, all right, well, we're going to be back soon, as I say, to talk about more cricket. In the meantime, if you enjoy the World Cricket Show, get more involved on social media. Tony's reaching for his phone. Uh, we're, we're on Facebook. So I follow them? Uh, Facebook.com slash Cricket Show. We're on Twitter at Cricket Show. We're on Instagram at World Cricket Show. 
Uh, and if you'd like to support what we do, there's a couple of ways to do that. One financial, one non-financial. The financial way is to uh, go to Patreon, patreon.com slash cricketshow, and pledge a regular amount uh, to help keep us in business. Uh, and otherwise, you can support us by giving us a rating and better yet a review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform that you use because it is yeah it, it, it's really great uh it's just really great that this podcast and uh, if you can uh, if you can demonstrate that with a review you know it does it is great because it it does help to bring people in I'm sure there are many people listening who found the podcast through reading reviews etc podcasting ponzi scheme isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah once you're in you, you can't get out uh, and Tony's already mentioned um, well done for for reading those cue cards. We do have another podcast, the Little Film Podcast, available now on iTunes and elsewhere. Uh, actually, this just occurred to me: the World Cricket Show is on Spotify now as well. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, you've already found a way of listening to the show. But if you want to listen to it on Spotify, you can. That's it, I think, Tone. In the meantime, stay in school, everyone, uh, and we will speak to you soon. Bye bye for now. Yeah, see ya, Cherry. <laughs> see ya. I can smell your fear deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.